0: up, Benfica Nation. Welcome to episode 131 of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host once again, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinio, coming to you here late on a Sunday night from the northeast corner of the United States of America to the entire world, wherever English-speaking Benficistas are located, or wherever Benficistas who uh, understand English and who Who like to listen to podcasts in English uh, are located wherever you are tonight. Hope everyone is having a great weekend. Um, I have to say right off the top that yesterday's farce of a match, yesterday's complete embarrassment of what has become Portuguese football in the last 20 years especially, more than that, but it just continues to get worse was on display for the entire world. Okay, You all know by now I'm talking about Mifika's 7-0 win on the road at the Jamur against Bisad. I won't call them Boulinetsch, especially now. I will not disgrace the original, the real Bolinist. Um Not that this is all Bisad's fault either, but uh, I will not... I will not use the original club's name to talk about this club, which is not a club. It's simply a sad. And well, I think they kind of were victim of their own their own uh, structure here because there is nobody to advocate for them. And well, while I don't blame them entirely for what happened, I know a lot of people do. For me, this falls one hundred percent on the Liga Portugal. This falls one hundred percent on them this falls just on the ineptitude of of everybody running football in Portugal. Yeah, the FPF may be off the hook on this one, but they're no better. Let's let's not uh let's not ignore the fact that they wouldn't have come up with anything better either, okay? So really the FPF and the Liga Portugal are just a disgrace right now. I've said this before, but they continue to prove it right. And uh yesterday's debacle is what it was. And, um, well, Portuguese football or Liga Portugal is trending on Twitter, or was yesterday, um, at the time of the match, was trending for all the wrong reasons. And I remember, I remember when people really got excited. Remember when Portugal passed France in the coefficient rating in UEFA? And all of a sudden, the European Big Five was now being addressed as the Big Six, but there was no mention of Portugal as the newcomer in that big quote-unquote six. That big six was invented to keep France in the conversation. And while the French league is an embarrassment of its own, just go look how many of their matches have been in, have been in, abandoned this season. They're no better than, than our league is. Really, it should just be a big four because there is a universe of difference in class, in professionalism, in organization. When you look at the Premier League, the Bundesliga, especially. And then you look at the Liga B Win Portugal, or the Liga Portugal B Win that we play in. And uh, there need, there needs to be an absolute just overhaul and pardon the pardon the, pardon the phrase because it's a political phrase and it's not meant to be, but it is the epitome of what needs to happen in portuguese football the swamp needs to be drained literally anybody in charge in portuguese football right now should be reevaluated for their position this is an embarrassment and if you don't believe me just google befica today we're we're on the end of a lot of this cuz we look like the bad guys so i did that for you, for everybody i went into my google machine and i put in befica here's what comes up just what comes up off of the top, okay? The world's media outlets finally talking about our club. Not because we put in good matches against Barcelona or because we put in a good 70 minutes against Bayern Munich. No, 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 no. The world is talking about our club because we beat nine men 7-0 in a 45-minute match, essentially. ESPN headline today, Portugal League match abandoned as COVID outbreak reduces Bolinist's nine players see they use the this is why i feel bad for bulanis that should say bisad i know they don't know these things at espn they don't cover this league very closely they have no idea that this is not bulanis that we played against no matter how much the league insists that they are bulanis they are not bulanis they are bisad they're code city blues call them what you want but they are not club football bulanis again the media puts the real club's name here in shame but it's not them um and it says that Bulinish reduced to nine players, including two keepers, and all they've got in their article. Oh, actually they do have it here. It's from Reuters. And it says but if you got pre Primera League match at Bolognese, There you go. I apologize again to actual Bulinish fans. I'm gonna replace the word Bulinish with the word Bisado, with the phrase Bisad on Saturday. Uh, The match was abandoned amid extraordinary scenes after the COVID hit. Opponents were forced to name a team of nine players, including two goalkeepers. The league said on Sunday it would start a disciplinary process to investigate if the match complied with health rules. Mifika took advantage of their numerical superiority to rack up seven goals by halftime before Bisad returned with only seven players for the second half. The match was called off two minutes after the break when João Monteiro, a goalkeeper playing in midfield, sat down on the ground unable to continue forcing referees to abandon the match, which require a minimum of seven players. This was predictable. Anyone, I don't know if anyone remembers, but this happened, uh, I want to say this was around 2002, when Portugal played a friendly against Angola, at the Stadio Giselle Vallad. Now, different circumstances. Angola Angola picked up two or three red cards. In the, I think they got really angry with the referee. And the referee started to throw red cards, if I remember correctly. I mean, this was 20 years ago almost. So it's hard to remember. But I do remember Angola got down to eight or nine players in the second half. And suddenly, they, re- they made their subs so that they would be out of subs. And then players started to sit down and claim an injury. And they would come off. And the match ended up being abandoned. This was a match I think that was to celebrate. I don't know if it was to celebrate Portugal's qualification to World Cup 2002. I don't remember if it was to celebrate. um, I think it was a celebration for the Angolan community actually in Lisbon. Uh, Because there were more Angola fans in the Alvalade that day than there were Portugal fans. And that was what they were treated to. This, This reminded me so much of it. Even though the circumstances again completely different. But once they came out. First of all, I didn't think they were coming out at, at halftime. Um, very hard for commentators, whether it's in English or in Spanish, or even in Portuguese, if they're not at the stadium to have any idea what's going on. But Buenos, there I go again. Apologies. Bisad took an extremely long time to come out um, to come out of the team rooms at at halftime and came out with only seven players. So now they started with nine. So they came out with seven. And as soon as they came out with seven, you knew this someone was gonna go down with an injury and we were gonna call this a match uh you know, within minutes. And what probably was happening was the the officials for the for B probably were scouring the rule book up and down to see exactly what they could do to end this match without maximizing fines. And that's why they took the mat, they took the pitch for the second half. And as soon as the you know it kicked off, it uh, it ended. Uh, I feel for the four thousand or so Benfiquistas who were there. There was, I think, two Bisad fans in the stadium. That's all the camera caught a glimpse of. Uh, the overhead shots are just depressing. There's literally nobody there. Um, tickets were very very overpriced. Nobody cares. Clearly, the league doesn't care. Bisad doesn't care about that. They need their their payday, um, and you know the entire supporters were 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 sque- squeezed into a corner of the Jamor really sad scenes actually and uh, they got a whole 45 minutes of 11 on 9 football to watch before it ended continuing with this uh, uh article here on ESPN from Reuters it says the match was called off uh, okay forcing one positive te- following one positive COVID-19 test in the squad earlier this week. A total of 17 cases were reported among b players and staff. Um, Club president, Rui Pedro Suárez, told the news conference on Saturday before the match. b players shared a message on social media before the match that said, football only has heart if it is competitive. Football only has heart if it is really sporting. Football only has heart when it is an example of public health. So, what you see there is a PR department trying to to save face here. Um, I think there's this... I'm not going to get into it. Okay, so basically, um, Swadesh told reporters that he had unsuccessfully asked the authorities for the game to be postponed in the middle of the afternoon. He communicated to the Liga, he told the press, that they didn't want to play the game. We had eight players who could attend the match, and as such, they they were told that if they didn't Attend the match, it would be an unjustified absence. That's the story on ESPN. What are they saying in other parts of the world? So, in Brazil, on Globo, their biggest media outlet headline came up also on this uh, Google search, and it says, Consurto de Covid. Boline-. There we go again, saying Bolonese. Okay, again, I apologize. I'm going to try to. Balance between quoting these sources and just not using that name. So, uh, again, I will translate this into English in just a minute, but the headline is: Consurto de COVID. Uh, Bissad, tem goleiro na linha e goleado, uh, pelo Benfica, en jogo termina con 46 e minutos. What that means is: so, with an outbreak of COVID, Bissad has a goalkeeper on the pitch. They actually had two goalkeepers on the pitch and are blown out by Benfica in a match that ends in 46 minutes reading on uh, their further talk was o campeonato português viveu um dia surreal com surto de covid-19 no elenco elenco is the brazilian term for the the roster or the the we'd say the plantel in in our portuguese o conseguiu. Escalar apenas nove jogadores contra o Benfica no Estádio do Jamor em Oeiras. Entre eles, dois goleiros, um atuou na linha. Uh, o time de Jorge Jesus fez 7 a 0 no primeiro tempo, mas a partida foi encerrada no início da segunda etapa, porque o time, mantant ficou com apenas uh, seis atletas em campo. So in English, the, the Brazilian Reporting is that the Portuguese Championship. Lived an unreal or a surreal day with an outbreak again of COVID nineteen in the roster. Like I said, that word Ilanku that they use. Uh Bisad managed to dress only nine players um against Benfica. Uh two two goalkeepers um and one I guess uh in the on the pitch. I thought I was understanding that there were two goalkeepers on the pitch and one in goal. Um Either way, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's ridiculous that it it got to this. Uh, and then it says Georges team wins seven nil in the first half, and the match is ended uh, shortly into the second half. In Spain, Marca also has us there on their on their headlines. This comes up again. Just Google Benfica, and in Spanish on Marca's front page, el partido de nun- que nunca se debió jugar. They use the Portuguese word, vergonha, Mundial, in Portugal. So they use the Portuguese word, vergonha, instead of vergüenza, um, in quotations. And basically what that means is the por- the match that should have never been played, embarrass- global embarrassment in Portugal, or worldwide embarrassment in Portugal. The, uh, the author of this, who it doesn't even say who wrote this, um, but he says at the beginning, he says, ¿Qué es esto? Soy el único que no entiende. qué nos el partido? He's saying, What is this? Am I the only one who understands? Am I the only one who does not understand why this match was not uh, postponed? And he says, El club de Bernardo Silvas refleja a la perfección La indignación con el suicidio en el Besad Benfica. So it says uh, the former club of Bernardo Silva, um, you know, makes basically takes advantage of the indignation and um, you know makes the most of this of this uh, situation. They have some highlights here, but then the part I want to say is what's left here at the bottom. Uh, and when the match is, is over. They get, they hit the na- nail on the head here. Spanish, uh, media outlet, Marca. They say, Ahí fue cuando Belenenses, aka Besad, dijo basta. So this is where, this is, he's talking about the second, when the two teams came out for the second half. Here's where Besad said enough. El intermedio se estaba demorando más de la cuenta y saltió al césped okay, so he, they noticed, and we all saw Bisad come out with only seven players, okay, and they took their sweet time, as it's saying, um, they they took much longer than usual, and only seven players took to the pitch. Anybody watching knew what was going to happen next. Uh, Marca notes that Antonio Montes and Diego Calila um, uh, stayed in. It, oh it says here uh, Antonio Montes y Diego Calila se quedaron se quedaron a los vestuarios so Antonio Montes and Diego Calila stayed in the changing rooms la jugada parecía clara fingir una lesión o forzar una expulsión para participar el final o precipitar excuse me el final del partido así fue Juan Monteiro Nada más que reandurarse el partido, se tiró al suelo y obligó al árbitro Manuel Mota a suspender el partido. El daño estaba hecho. Portugal se avergonzó de su fútbol. And it says, everything seemed clear. Fake an injury or force force a sending off. To precipitate the end of the match. And that is what happened. João Monteiro (laughs) goes to the ground. And uh, he forces the referee to end the match. And it's done. And Portugal, you know, embarrasses themselves, no doubt, with this. And, again, just absolute embarrassment. The mirror in, in Britain. Says Benfica farce sees match abandoned as opponents concede seven and end with six players. A COVID outbreak had left Portuguese minnows Besa facing a crisis with 14 players unable to play and three staff members unavailable due to strict measures on self-isolation. This is written by Joe Krishnan of The Mirror. And uh, he says Fo- Portuguese football descended into farcical territory on Saturday night after Benfica's match against Bulanins had to be. So, there I go against Be Sad had to. Please, media, stop calling them Bulanins. Liga Portugal, stop calling them Bulanins. They are Be Had to be abandoned when their opponents finished the game with only six players at seven nil down. A COVID outbreak had left the Portuguese minnows facing a crisis with 14 players unable to play, as we had just said. it's It was expected that the FPF would order the postponement of the clash. So according to the Mirror, they think that it was expected that the FPF was going to force the postponement. I don't know where they got that expectation. I don't think um, anyone expected that because that would be reasonable, and that would have been required common sense, which... The FPF has none. Just look at the way that they are managing the national team right now, which is also under their watch. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> but with no decision forthcoming, says the Mirror, a potential fine or points deduction awaiting them if they forfeited the game. b had no option to fulfil but to fulfill the fixture. That's an important point because Benfica also had no choice. I've seen it out there where people think Befica should have refused to play. Befica would have risked taking a loss and having a further two points deducted if they refused to play, okay? That was never going to be an option. Our rivals would have loved that. And yes, our rivals now have all the bulletin board material. They go to their allies in the press, and we are going to be absolutely slandered in the Portuguese press, in the world, and... Through their allies in the world press, we're going to be slandered for some time for this. As if we had anything to do with this. We did everything we had to do. We took the pitch. We played the match. I disagree with anyone who believes we should have scored one goal and then passed the ball around until, until they ran out of players. That's ridiculous. That's even more farcical. I don't like how our club's name is being mentioned in this light. Do you really think that if Sporting or Porto took the pitch against this team, they would have done anything different? I think they would have done, tw- uh, Porto would have scored 10 or 15. I don't doubt it for one second. So if they're going to pretend that they're above this, let's remind Sporting what they did when Vitoria Stubal had a breakout of influenza, not of COVID, of the flu, the the original COVID if you will. And no, don't please don't correct me, I'm making a joke. I know that they're not the same thing, okay? But when Victoria Stubal had an outbreak of the flu not too long ago, and Sporting forced them to play, they had players who were actually sick playing. So don't come in and act like you know you're so much better than us because because you wouldn't have played this match that that's ridiculous you can play you can talk about the numbers all you want at the end of the day okay the end of the day this match should not have been played but it is not up to the clubs to do that it is up to the league to do the right thing and this league once again drops the ball this league is the laughing stock of football i watch enough you can say what you want about south american football i've watched enough of it This doesn't happen in South America. The match gets postponed or enough youth players show up. Now, some people are saying, and I've seen it out there, that Bolognese, again, there I go, Bolognese Sad, b should have, you know, had more players available than that. Well... I don't know the insides of the club. I have no idea how many players they have available. Uh, I'm I'm assuming their U23s played this week. I'm assuming their youth team played this week. That's all they have is a U19 and a U23. They are not a club. They are literally a team with three tiers. They're not a club. They don't have youth teams. They don't have other sports. They don't have women's teams. This is literally a football team with three tiers to it. Um, so... I find it very believable that this is all that they could field. In um, their finances, I'm sure, are disastrous. Given that they don't have a home, they don't have supporters, they pay rent to stadiums that they don't, obviously don't own, and that they don't sell tickets to uh, to compensate for that rent. So I have a hard time putting... Too much blame on Bissad for this one. There's plenty I can blame on Bissad with what's wrong in football, Portuguese football. They are a prime example of what's wrong in, in in Portuguese football. Why have they not merged with the new club by now? Why have they not struck an agreement with a Red Bull or with a city football group or something to get this club properly funded and get it going? They're hanging on by 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 strings, and you know I guess they deserve some some credit for even still existing because I think they've probably done well to just survive to this point. But the real Bulanês is in the Campeonato Portugal. They're in the fourth division and making their way up up the pyramid. Okay, the real Bulanês played against Sporting in the Taça de Portugal uh, a month ago. In their real stadium. Okay. In the Chishtil. This team here is just a team using that name. This needs to be resorted. First of all, this needs to be resolved. They should not be playing with this name anymore. We heard rumors of them going to Grandula to become Grandolins. But then we heard they wanted to keep the the Boulinins name. But they're not Boulinins. And... Again, there's so much that you can pile on this this group, this outfit, uh, that is wrong with them. But on this occasion, on the fact of this particular match, I put very little blame on them. Um, and I think that, you know, the league is 100% who's to blame for this. I'm not even going to put this on. I've heard people talk about the, the DGS. I want government out of football as much as possible, okay? I understand it's a, it could be a public health crisis, but again, one thing that has lacked, regardless of what you believe about this COVID outbreak, about this COVID virus, uh, coronavirus, okay, there's differing opinions. I'm not here to tell you what to believe. This is not a political podcast. This is not a health podcast. I'm not a doctor. But one thing I think everyone can agree on, worldwide, there's been an absolute lack of common sense in dealing with this. What we have worldwide is two extremes fighting with each other as to how to handle this with neither one budging. And this match is, a, is an absolute example of extremes not budging. Common sense came did not come into this equation at any point. okay Common sense was never used in what to do here. The rules call that the match would have had to be rescheduled within seven days, I believe. Why? Who knows? There's no reason why it couldn't be moved to the new year. To Why it couldn't be moved. There's a couple tentative dates that would have worked. The weekend of the Taza de Liga Final Four could have been a tentative date. And if Benfica are there, then you move it again. But at least you have an opening there. Or you move it to midweek later in the season when you're not playing every three days anymore. There's a lot of there is opportunities in the calendar where to put this match. Once again, the league drops the ball on this one. I wanted to close up with this. Uh, it says from the first. This is I don't like this again. This is what's now coming out of this is that we are made to look like villains here. And it says from the first whistle. It promised to be a long, minu- a long ninety minutes as the ho- for the hosts, as Benfica show no mercy to their stricken opponent. Okay, enough with the. Uh, I don't blame them, but I don't feel sorry for them either. Okay, again, there are rules in place. Okay, there are measures in place that clearly don't work, but I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for them either. Okay. But if he had a job to do, they went out and did it. They're not there to be charitable. The Guardian, I'm sorry, the Mirror goes on to, to break down the 45 minutes of the match. I'm not going to even talk about the 45 minutes. You can find the scoreline anywhere you want. Uh, Darwin had a hat trick, two for Seferovic, one for one for uh, Rafa, and one for Weigel, if I'm, my memory serves me correct. Uh, more articles. Sky Sports says coronavirus, Benfica match abandoned at 7-0 as corona hit. There they go, using that word again. But I'm going to say Besat reduced to six men. And they say the same thing everyone else says. BBC Sports says the same thing. CNN. CNN, my least favorite of all media outlets. I despise CNN. One, they, I despise everything about them, but here's what they say. Bayfica match abandoned after COVID hit opponents left with six players. Again, making victims out of everybody. As if BeFica were supposed to just go over there. And I've heard people say that Bayfica should have played nine on nine. That's stupid. That's not even ridiculous. That's stupid. Bayfica have a job to do. Benfica are fighting for a title. Benfica need the three points. Okay. And Benfica need goal difference. Okay. So uh, the rules are the rules. Benfica had to play within them. They're not, it's not up to Benfica to be charitable in this. And I've said this before. Okay. When I defend Bayern Munich for running up the score on us, I obviously defend Benfica for running up the score in this situation. Okay. I don't care what our rivals say, they would have done the exact same thing. Um, yeah, and, and CNN goes on to say that the Athletic says, "Beside the Benfica abandoned in the second half after hosts were unable to field the team due to COVID outbreak." Here we go. So you get the, you get the gist of what's being reported in the worldwide media. Well, Benfica, we finally are getting some of the coverage we've wanted, but for all the wrong reasons. Um I'll quickly run down uh, the rest of the results in the Liga Nage, or the Liga Portugal, excuse me, this week, okay? The rest of round 12, there's one match left to play at the time of recording. And uh, it started on Friday, uh, Moreirense, excuse me, 2, Gil Vicente 2. Saturday, Cow 0, Portimonense 3, Roca 2, Boavista 1. Of course, our match 7-0 against SAD. Today's matches, Maritimo 2, de Ferreira 0, Sporting 2, Tondela 0, and Porto 2, Vitória Ibrahimovic 1. Tomorrow, you have Istoril taking on Santa Clara, and actually Tuesday, one more match, Braga taking on Vizela, and yet another Minho Darby. Let's look at the table as it stands right now, with a few teams left to play this round. Porto lead the league, 32 points from 10 victories and two draws. Same for Sporting. We are one behind them in third with 31. As you know, next week we, tra- we host Spartan. And again, I'll talk about in a minute why I'm even more furious this match was played. Uh, fourth place, Isturil with all- with a match in hand. They have 20 points. Portimonense right now fifth with 20 as well. Braga sixth but with a match in hand. 19 points. Guimarães seventh with 16 points. She'll be sent. Have 14. Oroca 13. Tundela, 10th with 12. Boavista and and de Ferreira, 11th and 12th, respectively, with 11 points each. Famalicão have 10 points. They're in 13th. Also on 10 points is Maritimo and Vizela. Murires now in 16th with 9 points. Bisad, 17th with 8. And Santa Clara with 6 in the bottom of the table. Okay, so next week's fixtures before we move on. All right. Friday. Portimones host Porto in basically a Porto B versus Porto A team, uh, Porto A matchup. So we all know how that's going to go. And then the big one, 4.15 p.m. Eastern time here in the United States. That's 9.15 Lisbon time, Friday night, Benfica host Sporting. And I'm just hoping and praying that our team does not have another outbreak like we had last season. And we go into that match missing key players and we start this cycle all over again, like we had last season, where which ended up being our demise. Four straight games where we dropped points, while our players, you know, in groups of three or four, five, whatever, were were, you know, testing positive and actually dealing with the virus. Whereas in this outbreak, for the most part From everything I'm reading, these players are all asymptomatic, so it's just a matter of a test, but um, last year, we were very sick, we were forced to play, another reason I don't feel sorry, okay, another reason the Portuguese league is a joke, okay, and uh, they think I had every right to go out there, and and I wish they had scored more, to be honest with you, because Listen, we've been on the other end, and nobody felt sorry for us, okay? So, Befica Sporting, the big one, next Friday. And then Saturday, Tondela host Moreirense, Bovista host Maritimo. Passos de Ferreira host Vitória Guimarães. Sunday, Santa Clara host Roca, Gil Vicente host Famalicão. Braga host Isturil. And Monday, December the 6th, round 13, will close with Vizela hosting whatever's left of Bissad. Okay, um, like I said, my concern now is that this virus is going to go through our locker room, and we already had Paul Bernardo, you know, test positive while away with the U twenty one national team. Um, I, I'm just hopeful that in the next five days, at least, and beyond, nobody nobody tests positive here, and we don't have an outbreak in our team because of this match. And, of course, you know, there's also the concern of it breaking out into the general public. Although, I don't believe that anyone in the stadium is at any danger of contracting the virus from any players on the pitch. That's very unlikely. Now, whoever the players may come across in their day-to-day life, that's a different story. But, um, again, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Okay, the first break of the show is coming up. On the other side, we're going to rewind to Barcelona-Benfica. Champions League action all right here on Mr. Benfica this is episode 131 I'm the Mr. Mike Agustin you follow the show on Twitter at Benfica Mr on Instagram at Mr. Benfica and don't forget to check out the homepage, page www.mrbenfica.com we'll be right back here on Mr. Benfica Jornada sofrida A glória da vitória Tem que ser bem nutrida Na reconquista Do que é nosso Por direito Que não fico Por fazer o que podia Ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força Sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora Nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa voz Que queria Ouve a nossa o querer de todos nós, a fé que não se explica. Carrega, Benfica, carrega, Benfica. Ouve a nossa voz, o querer de todos nós, a fé que não se explica. Welcome back to Mr. Benfica, episode 131. Alright, you hear that anthem, you hear that music, that means one thing. Champions League football, and I'm happy to say we are still alive in the Champions League this season, this 2021-2022 edition of the UEFA Champions League. It's Match Day 5, and we're at the historic Camp Nou in Barcelona, and in front of what is actually a small crowd of 49,572 5,000 of which were traveling Benfica supporters Uh, Benfica took on Barcelona in what was Xavi's debut as Barcelona manager in uh, Champions League or in Europe Um, having uh, just picked up his first victory in his La Liga debut beating Espanyol the previous weekend in the Barcelona derby so uh, a lot of pressure on both sides, really. Um, I thought, okay, I'm going to be fair here. I thought that uh, J.J. did quite well in this match, um, given what he had. So, I'm going to rewind a little bit here. And I know and those of you that follow me on Twitter and that have listened to the, the show for some time know that uh, I don't always agree with the manager, right? Um and a lot of times I agree with most of you in what you're saying, but there was an outrage that at least I was seeing on Twitter and on other social media platforms or in other, uh, you know, in, in just watching news interviews and whatnot before this match when the lineup was dropped. Um, I'll give my thoughts on that in just a moment. Let's let's go through the lineups, and then I will... I will uh, give my thoughts we'll start with the home side uh, for the Blaugrana for Barcelona playing at home in goal is the Germany international Mark andre Ter Stegen uh, they're going in a 3-4-2-1 and their th- back 3 Ronald Ara- Araujo and it is Araujo, it's not Araujo like the Mexican player with the same last name uh, this Uruguayan pronounces it Araujo, he's playing as the right center back uh, the, the long-time center-back Gerard Pique is the, is the deep-lying center-back with Clement Lenglet as the left center-back. In midfield, Youssef Demir plays as the right-wing-back. Jordi Alba as the left-wing-back. The double pivot in midfield, Frankie de Jong and the captain, Sergio Busquets. And in front of them, two attacking midfielders, Nico Gonzalez and Pablo Gavira. And the striker is, of course, Memphis Depay. For Benfica now playing in their normal 3, well, it's a 3-4-2-1 is how it's being shown here on FopMob. But uh, very much their normal formation. You can call it a 3-4-3, three, three, really. Um, this upset a lot of you. Okay, this, I, I could tell that this upset people. They expected either a back four or they expected three different. Uh, they expected a slight different lineup in the back three. So the goalkeeper is Odiva Kodimos once again, and he had himself a fine match here. Um, he starts in goal as usual. The left center back is Jan Vertonghen. Super Jan is joined to his right in the deep-lying center back with uh, probably the most heroic performance we've seen from this player. Yeah, definitely in a Benfica kit. And I struggled to come up with a better uh, defensive performance from a center back. In any Bayfica match I've watched, I mean, I, and I've watched hundreds, if not thousands, of Bayfica matches in my life, probably thousands, I would say by now. I struggle to think of a better defensive performance than the one put in on this night by Nicolas Otamendi. Otamendi, absolutely the clear, in a way, leader of this team. Armband or no way, armband, this is the guy. That has turned this team from the absolute mess it was at the end of the Brunelage era to what it is today. At the Today, not a single Benfica, Benfica player quits on the pitch. Not a single Benfica player quits on their manager. Even when they play poor, they play to the end. I owe a lot of that, or at least I... Um, I point that change to the arrival of Nicolas Otamendi and I do stay I do feel validated because when he was signed I felt like the only person who was happy about it and he's not a player I liked beforehand um I was never a Nicolas Otamendi fan obviously when he played for Porto I was never a Nicolas Otamendi fan with Certainly not with Man City. I don't support Man City, so I wouldn't be a fan of his there. Um, With the Argentina national team. okay. Uh, But when we signed him, you can go back and listen to it. It is there. Go back to the episodes in early Season 3. In late summer, early fall of 2020. And hear my reaction to the signing of Nicolas Otamendi. I said he brought something that this team lacked. He brought fight. This is a guy who's not afraid to stand up for his teammates. Our club doesn't stand up for itself most of the time. Our club allows media opponents, media directors at at rival clubs to trash on us. Our club allows referees to close their eyes when it should be a penalty for us. Our club allows all of this. This player does not. And to this day, and uh, and we've we may have spent a hundred million or whatever, you know, hundred fifty million or whatever since George Zouz returned to the club. Nicolas Otamendi is the biggest signing and the most important signing, and probably the only reason JJ is still here, other than JJ's huge contract. But he. Is the biggest reason why we're competitive again. And man, was he awesome in this game against Barcelona. To his right, the captain. Again, I called this, I predicted this weeks, months ago. It's under Almeida. And it shouldn't surprise anybody. I don't get the outrage. This is not football manager. You're, this is not FIFA. And I mean the video game. This is a real-life football match in the real UEFA Champions League. On no planet is Moratu going to play as a right center back. In no planet is, is Vertongen certainly going to play as a right center back. The only way Moratu plays in this back three is if Vertonghen plays in the deep center basically the sweeper role where Otamendi absolutely played the game of his career in in this match. And Otamendi moves to the right. Otamendi's not as good on the right. Okay? Otamendi is much better exactly in the role he played in this match and he's our best defender, our best central defender. He needs to the very you need to take care of the core first. The center needs to be protected first. So I understand 100%. I said that André Almeida's role in this team was not going to ever be as a right wing back. I said that he was going to be the backup right center back in a back three. Here he is. Our starting right center back, unfortunately, Lucas Verissimo is out for the season. Against the Barcelona, it's absolutely got to be André Almeida playing there. You cannot put either Jan or Morato in that position, okay? You cannot just put left center backs on the right center. It It's something you can do in video games. It's something you can do playing football manager. It's something you can do in the local leagues. It's something you can do, you know, in kickabouts, not in the UEFA Champions League, okay? You, absolutely. Not something you can do. And, um, the other reason he needed to be the one in the lineup here is, as we know, and we've watched enough matches this season, we've watched enough matches since we went to this, this three, this back three, which I will continue to defend as the way we need to play with this group of players that we have. Okay, my my defense of this system of play is 100% due to the personnel we have. We don't have personnel to play a back four. We will get slaughtered. We have wide defenders who don't defend well. You can't play a back four with two outside backs that can't defend. Hence why we have to play with a back three. So please, once again, I know, and we'll get to this match in the final segment, I know we switched to a four-four-two against Passage It's one thing to switch to it in the match, and it's another thing to come out that way from the start. And I've said this before. When you start with a back three, it's a much easier to switch to a back four than it is in reverse. Okay? If you start with a back four, it's very hard to switch to a back three because the personnel has to be right. Now, Andre Almeida starts this match because we know Gilberto does not go 90 minutes. And we know Diogo Gonçalves is not healthy. We know, um, and actually, good thing that Lazaro was because we, he was called on. We know that Grimaldo does not go 90 minutes, okay? Had Jorge Zouge started Moratu instead of Andre Almeida, he would have had to bring Andre Almeida on for Gilberto. Okay, This way, Andre Almeida, should he decide to go to a back four, can simply just slide Andre Almeida out to the right. If Morato is in that place, he can't slide him out to the right. He could slide him to the left, maybe. But again, Andre Almeida is the better choice here, given what the match was giving us. And given his experience, and experience does count, especially... In the UEFA Champions League. All right, going on to the rest of the lineup. Like we said, Gilberto starts as the right wing back. Grimaldo is the left wing back. Double pivot, of course, is Ulian Weigel and Joao Mario, who is not a hundred percent, but put in a valuable, valiant, I should say, effort. The three in the attack. It is Yarmchuk who gets the start over Darwin. Surprise me just a little. But I get it. I get why, why Yaremchuk is uh, selected for this one. Um, he's our only player that holds the ball up. If you go with Darwin, you have absolutely zero target players in the front. So what happens is when we want to get up and push up and get out of our end a little bit, you need players that can hold the ball and allow the team to move forward and to get up. And Yaremchuk does that much better than Darwin. Darwin... Is the type of player that wants to get in behind and run, okay? And um I know he had a lot of success against Barcelona the first time around, and I thought he was gonna start based on that, or even I thought he was gonna start on the left um with Yadem Chuk and Rafa. JJ opts to go with Everton, who's on form right now. So I I understand that as well. Everton's having a couple of good matches in a row and starting to recover and starting to recoup himself. And I do believe that is why J.J. went with him here. In And also, J.J. is learning a little bit how to – I'm not saying he's learning. He's realizing because J.J. has been a manager for so many – longer than I've been alive practically. Um, it's not that he's learning this, but it's that he's understanding and realizing he needs to leave options on the bench. You can't always just run with your best 11 because – as you can see, when you watch this team play, as soon as they start going to the bench, we get significantly weaker. Okay, so that's that's what I think about the lineup. Okay, um, again, I think he put out the the team that that should have been put out to to play this match. Uh, there's very little that that realistically could be changed here, but again, once he had to go to the bench, you know, it did it did get a little bit worse. Looking at the way the match played out, and Benfica come out, and uh, they come out cautious, which is understandable, remember that um, Benfica needed a draw, they couldn't afford to lose, because if Barcelona win, Barcelona lock up their spot in the last 16, Benfica needed to take this to the final day, and they did succeed in that, as... Um, the pressure was on Barcelona, but Benfica could not afford to lose. So they have you can't just go out. Again, I hear fans saying that it's to win. Always. Yes, it's to win, but you have to win with a plan. It's not to just put everybody out there and everybody runs until they can't run anymore. And then you find yourself you know, in trouble. This Barcelona team you know is going to give you opportunities to get in behind. They defend poorly. Yes, Xavi is in here. I have my doubts about Xavi as a manager and these first two matches have very much um, strengthened my doubts. They have not they have not uh, changed my doubts in any way. Um and then his post-match, you know, comments tell me he's not ready for this position because he thinks Mefica played uh came out and played for a 0-0 which if JJ was playing for a 0-0 none of those substitutions he made would have been made that way. Um but again Barcelona love to possess. They overvalue the possession. And it looks like that's going to continue. Um, Barcelona's missing some important players in this. So that needs to be noted also. That that plays into Benfica's game a little bit. Uh, noticeable by their absence. Pedri, Ansu Fati, etc. Okay, Serginho Dest is not in the starting 11. And he brings a lot of uh, attacking, you know, in a lot of pace. To the attack for Barcelona, and I know he's the scapegoat often for this Barcelona side. As uh, no matter who the manager is, they keep insisting on playing him on his weaker side. But again, you lose a bit of, of pace when you opt when you opt to keep Sergino Dest out and you bring on uh, you bring on Youssef Demir. Not so much the the pacey of of a Sergio Dest, yeah, maybe I just root for the guy a little bit more because he's an American. But hey, um, I think a lot of times he's unfairly scapegoated by Barcelona fans. And uh, well, Jordi Jordi Alba returns, in the, uh, he was not playing in the, in the first matchup. But but uh, no, Barcelona had to go after it. The problem with Barcelona is they only know how to play one way. Benfica and JJ know that they put out a lineup. For the most part, that keeps Barcelona in front of our back three. Okay. Um, holding a deep you know, playing a deeper line defense, not playing up too high. Don't give them the chance to turn it into a foot race because we don't have the pace. They do. And uh, well. It, it, it does note here that in the seventh minute, Fot Mob says that contrary to pre-match reports, Barcelona match Mayfica's back three. With Alba and Demir as wing backs, Demir comes inside onto his left foot and shoots. Blacodimos makes a nice save here in the seventh minute and puts it out for a corner. The rain was a big factor in this match too. It, it looked like an absolute deluge. It looked like an absolute <laughs> just storm. But I think that played. I think that played a role. But I think it affected both teams because. Rafa did never got going in this match, and a lot of that, for me, is due to the heavy pitch. Um, watching this match and watching it over, I don't see anything that Barcelona did to try to stop uh, Rafa. You know, Xavi, again, talked about Rafa in the pre-match. Uh, he was worried about Rafa. He was worried about Darwin. And and he talked about that, but I didn't see anything tactically that really made it different Um I honestly don't think Barcelona played all that well. Yes, they had a goal annulled in this one; they had a goal called back, but I'm not seeing any. A lot of people are all happy about how Xavi has has reinstilled the the identity. Okay, there wasn't a whole lot different in the way that they played than they played with Koeman at the Luge. The difference was was you know they caught a Benfica team that. Did not score in the, in the ninth or eighth minute or whatever it was. That's the big difference in this match. The reason the first match looked the way it did is because Benfica scored early. And the way Barcelona play, and the way they want to play, and the only way they're willing to play is not suited for comebacks. It's suited for getting on the front foot, getting the lead, and then never letting your opponent have the ball back. That's how they won a lot of their major trophies. In all those years, with all the greats, Xavi included, Chavi, Iniesta, Messi. Uh, you can you can include Eto, you can include Ibra- Ibrahimovic, you can include Thierry Henry, you can include Luis Suarez if you want whatever, whatever um, inclination, whatever version of Barcelona you prefer of the last twenty years. How many come from behind wins did they really have? Very, very few because they are not designed to come back because they become somewhat easy to play against when you don't have to go look for a goal. Bafika proved that here. Bafika knew their opportunities were going to come. Bafika knew they were going to have opportunities on set pieces, and their best opportunity did come on a set piece. I mean, I lost count of how many times, uh, how many tackles, and how many times. Uh, Nicolás Altamendi blocked shots. So Barcelona also created their opportunities but a lot of the times a lot of the blocked shots and a lot of the times that Benfica's defense came through was because in part Barcelona is very predictable. JJ's scouting team whoever it is that's the performance analyst whoever looks at at Barcelona systems of play and whoever prepared the the tactics for defending against this Barcelona team did a very good job because, by and large, Benfica were always there when Barcelona thought they had an opportunity. Their Benfica's players knew where to be defensively all match long. Um, in the 16th minute, uh, it does say Benfica's back three looked more like a back five, but that is what I like about it. It is the flexibility, and it's okay under pressure when you're pinned back to shrink into a back five, and to survive that type of pressure. And they were penned back by Barca's wingbacks. That's true. But remember that when wingbacks step up, the space in behind them is left. And when you have guys like Everton and guys like Rafa. And when he's on the pitch, a guy like like Darwin. That's where they need to find themselves is in that space. So that when we clear it, we clear it into that space and we create counterattacks. I really thought Benfica were going to find one on the counter in this match. I didn't think that we were going to be kept... Uh, to a clean sheet. And uh, to be honest, we should not have been. Um, the only reason we did not win this game was because we did not push the ball into the wide open goal when we had the opportunity. But De- De- Depay, uh darts through on goal in rounds of Lacodimos before attempting to tee up Demir. But again, Befica block. And um, at that point, the offside flag does go up. Going through more of the first half in the 24th, Benfica force a corner down their left, which Everton takes short. The winger gets a hold of the return pass and crosses it. De Jong's defensive header is a good one, and Busquets uses his strength to win a free kick from Weigl. Um Slowly, Benfica kind of come alive in both of these halves. Uh, the game had a very even, I would say, a very even frequency if you look at it. Um, and what I mean by frequency, like the ups and downs were kind of even. The start of both halves, Barcelona came on the front foot and were pushing. Befica was soaking up pressure. Befica were absorbing it, were defending well. And then, you know, you hit the 20-minute mark of both halves, and Befica start to come out and start to play, start to find their own opportunities. And I think that was the game plan. Um, And... They start getting forward again. They get the ball to Everton has a couple nice plays in this game. Um, nothing comes of it, unfortunately. And then he has other plays that were not so good. But I think he, he put in a respectable performance. In the 31st, it says that Gilberto shows a great touch to power past Alba down. If he right, he could carry on to goal for himself, but instead attempts to release Yaremchuk centrally and misjudges the pass. Barcelona gratefully sweep up. Befica's biggest problem right now, and I heard this, and I think this came from Befica Podcast. I think it was Cristiano that said this, and he's 100% on the money about this one. Befica's amount of unforced errors, and for those of you that watch tennis know what that is, is through the roof. I mean, Befica make a lot of bad passes still. They have time, but this team, when it comes to making decisions, fare much worse when they have time to think about their decision than when they have to act instinctively. Rafa is the same thing. He's a great player when he does not have time and he has to use his athleticism and his instincts. Once he's given time and he has to make a decision, it seems more times than not to be the wrong one. But then again, that's why we still have him. So um, imagine this team if we did not have him. Um, Grimaldo goes in the book at the 35th minute, taking down Demir um he he cut him down as uh the the wing back was trying to get in to Benfica's attacking third in the 35th still Benfica worry Barca with a few corners from the first Ter Stegen saves Yarmchuk's header this was this was the play of the match this is the this is Ter Stegen saving the match although he knew nothing of it <laughs> the, this was really unlucky because if Yarmchuk's header hits the ground a few meters uh, closer, or I should say further from goal, closer to Yadimchuk. If the ball had been headed more straight down, I think this bounces up and over Ter Stegen and goes in. The way it happened, he headed it down with force, but the ball hit the ground just a little too close to Ter Stegen, And on the bounce back up, on the skip up, it hits Ter Stegen's leg. Uh, he hardly moves it. It literally hits his leg as uh, he's trying to find the ball and trying to react. But it gives Benfica another corner. And now this is the controversy of the match. Everton hits the corner, the outswinger. The ball falls to Rafa, who drops it back to Otamendi. And Otamendi strikes it with authority, thumps it from the edge of the box, hits the crossbar, and goes in. I thought, we thought, we all thought Befica had taken the lead at the Cup. No. The referee then sees the linesman's flag up. And he understands that the ball went across. Apparently, you know, broke the plane of the end line and came back. I'm not convinced. I have not seen a replay yet that has convinced me. However, again, this was the call made on the field. And there is no way you're going to prove that the call on the field was wrong because every replay I've seen is inconclusive. And uh, they just don't even have the camera angle to to find that, which is ridiculous. How, however many, what are we, almost four years into using VAR now since it was debuted at the 2017 uh, Confederations Cup, have we not figured out we need a camera on the inline looking up? to figure out if the ball went out. Um, another thing pointed out watching the match here in the United States, on CBS, on Paramount+, Plus, on the streaming network, former Manchester City um, star, Micah Richards, Micah Richards, uh, I think it's Micah is how you pronounce it. He He's one of the panelists and, of course, a former teammate of Otamendi, so maybe that might have influenced him. But he points out, and Jamie Carragher, the former Liverpool player, also pointed out and acknowledged that the referee's assistant, the linesman, was out of position when he made that call. He had already started to run back. And it's not until Barcelona's players put their arms in the air does he put his flag up. Now, was he influenced from those from those arms, or did he actually see the ball break the plane? Nobody knows. Unfortunately, however, that's uh, the goal is called back. And Benfica get their opportunity. They get the ball across the line, but it does not count. And we go to halftime, nil-nil, second half. Again, uh, Benfica have a chance here on the 51st. Actually, Rafa looks to thread. Yadimchuk threw on goal, but the pass is cut out. And it's sent all the way up the other end of the pitch. Alba looks for Gavi, but Gavi is offside. Uh, Gilberto and and Jordi Alba collide in the 53rd. Not much of anything, but it takes a while for Gilberto to get to his feet. In the tank on Gilberto, you can kind of see the gas meter starting to point towards the E. Um, It's a match... Some people have said it was horrible. Some have said it was good. I, I personally enjoyed the match. I know it wasn't the prettiest match to watch, but those just because matches are played well doesn't always make them great to watch um i this what i liked about this match was either team could have won this any result was possible there were instances in the match where either team could have could have taken all three points there were mistakes made which could have cost either team uh any points and in the end it was a a draw as in the 57th, it's it's Depay latching onto an angled pass to dash straight to the box. The Dutchman checks back onto his stronger right foot. Looks to make the shot, but again, my man, Nicholas Otamendi, with a vital sliding challenge to deny him a shooting opportunity. This is Nicholas Otamendi, who knows he cannot get booked. Because if he is booked, he will miss the final match of the group stage at home to Dinamo Ky- uh, Kiev. And remember that... Iron Munich match where Otamendi was rested, was saved due to his yellow card accumulations, not wanting to miss this match. JJ's decision on that day looks even better now because the guys he saved were needed, especially Otamendi, because I don't doubt for a second that playing, you know, defending and man marking Robert Lewandowski, he probably would have come up with the booking in that match. The two of them matched up for such a battle in the home leg of that of that home in a way um, that it wouldn't have surprised me if he had been booked in Munich and I'm glad we had him in this match instead it played out it it, it panned out and I maybe mean, he could end up coming away with the point because of it Largely in part to Otamendi. Otamendi is a big reason we did not lose this match. There were certain goals that he saved here. 59th minute, Darwin enters the match, replaces Yadimchuk, and the Uruguayan comes on, as does. Here we go. Okay. In the next segment, I will have a small praise for one Adele Tarapti. I did not want to see him in this match, though. And, um, you know, we just finally saw him get an assist, so maybe he was going to do it again. But João Mario could not continue, and there was nobody else to come in. I guess he could have come on with Jetson, but um, I think JJ's thinking is because Jetson's a little more versatile, can play a few more positions. He can play either of the wide positions if necessary, and I think Jetson was saved in case Benfica went down. If Benfica go down a goal, that's literally the only guy on the bench that could come in and change the look of the team and could bring some pace. And uh, that's why he goes with Adele Tarap because Paulo Bernardo is not there. I get it. And Tarap, you know, hit on his first touch, loses the ball, gives it away. And Barca nearly... Get a chance off of the counter. What else is new? This is what we see from him most of the time. I'll get really angry with him at the very end, but we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> Part of it is just my dislike for his game and for the way he plays the game. No, nothing personal. Just I don't particularly like his skill set or what it, what it brings to this Befica team. Maybe on a different team with different teammates and different qualities, maybe he, it, he'd be a better fit. Um Xavi makes his change of the match, and this really changes um, the course and the trajectory of this match for the final you know, 25 minutes. Osman Dambele comes on, replaces Yusef Demir, and now I'm nervous. Um, we saw the kind of trouble that Grimaldo had in defending uh, Kinsley Coleman and defending Serge Gnabry and defending uh, M- uh, Mane. Excuse me, not Mane, Sane. Um, with Bayern Munich, here comes Dembele, that type of of winger, great dribbler, and he goes right at BeFiga, giving us the jitters. And George Zuzuge knows right away he's got to make a change. That's in the 69th. He nearly he nearly serves up a ball for for Depay that could have put Barcelona ahead. And George Zuzuge wastes no more time and makes a great, for me, a good substitution, given that there's 20 minutes left and benfica seem to be running on very low fuel and uh they need some assistance here they need to help help to hold on to this result at this point i know we want to go for the win but jj knows that the opportunity i think he knows that the opportunity is going to come that um that they have to be patient but we cannot concede so on comes Valentino Lazaro for Rafa Silva. Rafa did not have himself a good game. Um I think the conditions made it very hard for him to play. The heavy soggy pitch seemed to have slowed him down and his touches were not there with him that day. Um he also brings on PZ for Everton. Everton, you know, gave you a decent effort like 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 I said. Uh but it had been a long time since he'd been dangerous. And again, I was not Excited to see Peasy come into this match, but again, we don't have anything. This team is far thinner than we thought, and we have a real lack of options off of the bench. And I would like to see some reinforcements, some boost coming in in January to give us a few more um, options off of the bench. But the good thing about this was Lazaro slides into the wing back position, and Grimaldo pushes forward into an outside mid position. Or into an attacking mid-position, really. Almost as a forward. um, Because he can still deliver a good ball. We saw against Pasfajida that he is a threat from from set pieces. Uh, So I think JJ gets this one right on the, uh, you know, hits the nail right on the head here. And makes the substitution that needed to happen at that moment. And uh, Lazaro does actually do a good job of containing uh, Dembele. He comes in, and we knew that that Grimaldo was tired. He would only play a little bit more. He, uh, he was not going to be able to stay with Dembele in this one um, for the final twenty minutes. So it is a good substitution. Um, Benfica find themselves in a three on three in the seventy first minute. Darwin shows a little too much of the ball, however, to his national team teammate Arujo. And the Uruguayan for Barcelona nips in and brings the attack to a halt. Barcelona starting to take risks in the 72nd. A draw isn't ideal for them. And it is Araujo once again who rips that goal from way out. And the shot skids wide of the left-hand post. Dembele cuts inside to ping a promising crossfield pass to Alba in the 74th. But Gilberto gets across to slam the door shut on the Barcelona wingback. Uh, Dion glides past Tarapt in the 76, keeps Barca moving the Catalans, eventually finding Gavi wide, who's nudged too easily off of the ball. However, maybe he can recover. And I'm going to move forward here. We get a substitution in the 81st, and it is Aris Seferovic coming on for Grimaldo, who has nothing left in the tank. And this is certainly not the substitution you would make if you're playing for a 0-0 draw. Xavi, pay attention. Um, I think Xavi needs to um work a little bit on how to read matches. I mean, on the pitch, inside the pitch, as a player, he was brilliant. He was a genius. It's a little bit of a different view from the touchline, from the dugout. And um, maybe he was just frustrated in Barcelona's inefficiency, really. 180 minutes versus Benfica without finding the back of the net. You really can't complain when you don't when you don't find a goal in two full matches against the, te- the team you are competing directly with for that second place. Mavica um, stifling Barca in the 80th. Uh, the offside trap catches Depay who's busting a gut to get uh, back in and uh, the Dutchman's frustration evident on his face. Uh, 86th, here comes Sergino Des for Clement Lenglet. Um, and Eric Garcia replaces Ronald Araujo. Move forward. And I'm trying to find here. I think we've already passed it in the in the timeline of the match, but we all know that, Araujo, yes, we do, because Araujo comes off injured. The reason Araujo comes off injured uh, is here in the 83rd. Here it is. Uh, Barcelona think they scored the late winner, but... But... After Araujo puts it across the face of goal. Puts it in the back of the net on a cross that came in from Jordi Alba, I believe. Yes, the cross was from Alba. It found Araujo. He finds the back of the net. And as he's sliding on his knees in the on the wet, soggy pitch. Celebrating towards the Barcelona faithful. The referee assistant's linesman's flag goes up for offside. Ademujo injures himself celebrating the goal that would end up being called back. VAR would verify it. It was no goal. And the match remains 0-0. And that will bring us to the final uh, the final play or the final two plays. And it is 90 plus 3. It is Seferovic with a golden chance. Now, the ball gets won by... Uh, by... uh, Lazaro Lazaro wins the ball originally and starts the counterattack, okay? The counterattack comes up the pitch and eventually finds Darwin running into space down the right. Darwin finds his way into the right center channel, comes down, looks up, finds a Seferovic with a pass. Seferovic does well to stay onside uh he he's now one on one with Jurstagen he goes to chip him first and i think he misses it either mishits the chip or Jurstagen just manages to close down the space early enough to have the ball hit him but it hits him and it just pops up over and over him back down onto Seferovic's foot Seferovic panicking a little bit here as the net is wide open the goal is wide open and um he's being closed down i believe it was by PK Who's, who's who's hustling in to close him down and he goes for the toe poke and unfortunately instead of going off of his big toe it goes off of his pinky toe and the toe poke goes wide and the golden chance to win the three points and pretty much solidify a spot in the last 16 of the Champions League is unbelievably missed George Azouz drops to his knees. This was the one opportunity he was waiting for. Um, Seferovic was in for that specific opportunity, but it wasn't to be. And um, I was speechless. I couldn't even, literally when I watched this, I didn't even get angry. My jaw just dropped. I could not believe what I had just seen. A minute later, um, Alba fires a cross in needlessly, and Lazaro heads it behind for a Barca corner. The Barca fans are are celebrating. I'm nervous as can be here. Usually, when you miss a sitter like that, uh, you pay for it on the very next play. Well, maybe not on the very next play, but it's not that uncommon to pay for it. But Pifka see it out again and have another promising counter. Unfortunately, the ball comes to Adel Tarabt, And now I wasn't in shock. Now I was pissed off. He's got guys going in. He's got Darwin. He's got Seferovic. Instead of going for goal, there is not any time left. You're literally past the time allowed. The danger of Barcelona going the length of the pitch to find a winner at this point was literally impossible. And instead of going for goal, a delta rap takes it to the corner. I lost my, you know what. I threw my phone. I went over to my punching bag and I and I laid a roundhouse kick to it, as I was, I was just livid with this guy. I understand. I have almost no patience for this this player. I have not been shy that I don't like the way he plays the game. I don't like his. He, he is a skilled player with zero football IQ. I've said it from day one. His football IQ is zero, and this play shows it. He goes to the corner instead of going at goal. Then he loses the ball. <laughs> and he waves at Busquets <laughs> and is shown a yellow card. Barca get the free kick. And there isn't even enough time for Barca to take the free kick. The final whistle is blown. And instead of having a final effort at the three points, Adel Tarap ensures that Barca take a point home. I can't stand this player. You know that. I don't want to hammer him. But I think his time has come and gone a long time ago. And uh, in the next segment, I'm probably going to give him some praise for that ball he put on to Seferovic. And it's going to be funny to talk about the Tasa game. (laughs) And little do we know, you know. That is nil 0-0 nil, full-time. Goal point crashed. I can't get the ratings, so I have the ratings from SofaScore instead here. Uh, for Barcelona, Mark's, uh, Marc-Andre Stegen. Ter Stegen has 7.4. Ronald Arrujo, 7.5. Gerard Pique, 7.4. Clement Lengle, 6.7. Jordi Alba, 6.7. Frankie de Jong, 7.2. Sergio Busquets. Uh Sergio Busquets 8.0, Yusef Demir 6.3, Nicolas Gonzalez 7.5, Gavi 6.8 and Memphis Depay 7.0 bringing a team average to 7.05 for Benfica. Odie Vlahovic 7.7, uh, Andre Almeida 7.1, Nicolas Altamendi 7.7 Benfica's best player and he would be in UEFA's team of the week for this for this week, uh, for match day 5, Jan Vertonghen 7.1, Alejandro Grimaldo 6.4, João Mario 6.7, Weigel 6.5, Gilberto 6.6, uh, Rafa 6.4, not his best performance, Everton 6.6, Yarimchuk 6.4. For a team average, 6.69. So, the standings now. We can look at statistics as well, actually. Uh, possession Barcelona 65% to 35% for Benfica total shots 14 for Barca 7 for Benfica but importantly shots on target 3 apiece this is why Xavi's theory that Barcelona deserved to win and this was unjust goes out the window both teams had 3 shots on target you're only going to score with shots that are on target Benfica were more efficient even though they didn't find the back of the net they made more with less um Benfica had 14 fouls to Barcelona's 13. I always like when Benfica win that category It tells me they're working harder. They're they're not allowing a, especially a possession team to just touch it around them. Okay, Benfica had three big chances to Barcelona's two. Whatever big chances means on sofa score. Um Barca did hit the woodwork once. Um uh, Benfica three counterattacks to one. And they got shots off of all three counterattacks. That's a good statistic to know. Barcelona doing what Barcelona does, completing 644 passes. Or I'm sorry, attempting 644 passes, completing 547, 85%. Befica 348 attempted to 256 completed. So 74% for Bayfica. Bayfica attempted 21 long balls, or I should say, completed 21 long balls out of 60. Barca only completed 5 crosses out of 22 attempts. Um Barca with 60% successful dribbles, but all of this is, you know, all of this is not something that leads to goals necessarily. And Barcelona for me is too married to this idea of how the game is supposed to be played. They they don't necessarily have the players to continue to play the way they did in 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009. Uh, Barcelona lost possession 166 times to Benfica 140. Barcelona did win the duels battle and the aerial uh, aerial battle. 79-257 in duels. 25-13 uh, in duels. In uh, aerials, excuse me. But tackles 23 apiece in tackles. Benfica. 14 interceptions and 19 clearances. The end of the day. Benfica earned the result. It should have been a win. I don't think any Benfica is happy with this result. I'm not happy with it. I thought we should have won this one, given we had the and JJ said it and he said it right. We had the best opportunity of the match, regardless of who had more. We did not pick it up. So the table in group E now looks like this through five rounds. Bayern Munich perfect. Five goal, uh, five victories, no draws, no defeats. Nineteen goals for, three against, fifteen points. Barcelona second right now with seven points. Uh, only two goals scored in through five matches. They really have very little to complain about. Benfica are a third with five points, one win, two draws, and two defeats. Five goals for, nine against. However, all nine came by the hands of Bayern Munich. So, uh for whatever that means, take that uh with a grain of salt. The remaining matches of course now will be on uh it'll be I believe on December Let's see here. The remaining matches will be in De- it'll be next week. The exact date will be pulling it up right now for you. The exact date the next matches will be the Groupie, groupie, come on! <laughs> Groupies' final matches will be on the the eighth of December. Barcelona travel to Bayern Munich. Benfica host Dinamo Kiev. Benfica need to win, and hope that Barcelona do not. I don't like that we don't rely on ourselves, but if there's any team to, that you want to rely on anywhere in the world, it is Bayern Munich. So it could be worse. But I have a real uneasy feeling about that. I don't know. Um, I don't know. The feeling has subsided a little bit since Tuesday. Because at the end of the match, I felt like Barcelona, somehow were going to. I just had a feeling they'd somehow go in and win at Bayern Munich. But maybe that feeling's kind of subsided as the days have gone on. But again, Benfica can only do what they can do. So they need to beat Dino Mokiev at home. All right. Final break uh, of the episode, and when we come back, we'll quickly recap Benfica Pasos Ferreira Tassa Portugal round four. And as you probably know by now, we'll talk about the draw for the next round. This is Mr. Benfica, episode 131. (laughs) I am a da 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 Fight and welcome back, final segment of episode 131, Mr. Benfica. And we are in the Taça de Portugal, the Portuguese Cup, round four. Let's start by going around the cup and giving you all of the other results in this round. Okay, so the round starts... Way back on Thursday, November the 18th, Sporting at home to Verzin. Sporting wins 2 to 1 and advances to the next round. Friday, November 19th, Casapia 3, Ferenc 1, the Casapianus advance. The historic club making a historic run in this competition as they are having one of their best seasons um, in memory. Near the top of the second division and now advancing into the fifth round of the Portuguese Cup. Also on that day, Portimonense travel north and beat Penafiel 3-0 on the road. Benfica and Passos Ferreira, of course, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. As you know, Benfica win 4-1 in that one at the Luge. Saturday, November the 20th, Lesa 1-0 winners at home to Gil Vicente. This is the big upset of the round. The... I want to say fourth division, less a side. They may even be a, a side in the dist- in the district championships. I'm not 100% sure if they play in the in the CNS, the Campeonato Nacional Seniors, or if they play in the, uh, the associacion de Porto, in the Porto district. Uh, but anyway, they beat the first division side, Gil Vicente, 1-0 at home. Uh, you may remember, if you're old enough, if you're my age or older, you may remember Lessa in the first division for a couple seasons back in the 90s. Vizela, winners at home over Estrela Amadora of the Liga Deutsche. So 2-0 winners to the first division side. Riwav of the second division beat Olianes of the fourth division um, 2-1 at the, at the uh, stadium there in Vila do Conde. Braga at home, 6-0, thumping of Santa Clara. And it is officially crisis mode in the Azores now for for the Bravos of Surianos. um, a, A season that started off so brightly. A team with so much hope, though so close to playing in the UEFA Europa Conference. Playing European football, bringing European football to the island. Now fighting for their lives in the... Liga B1 Portugal and out of the Taça de Portugal Liga 3 side Alverca uh, put up a good fight but lose at home 2-1 the 1st division side Famalicão and Porto take care of Ferenc 5-1 at the Dragão Sunday November the 21st uh, another 4th division side Serpa are routed at home by 1st division side Istoril match I got up early to watch you guys know who my who my home club is okay yes I'm Benfica through and through that is my club but my other little club Kaldish Sport Club of the 3rd division of the Liga Trish, hosting first division side B-SAD. and I wonder if there's going to be a covid outbreak in the Kaldish team uh in the next couple of days, I sure hope not. nothing yet. They had a big win in the Liga 3 this weekend, beating Alverca on the road. Um, but on the day at the Camp de Mata in beautiful Caldez de Reina. Caldez lose 5-3 to three in what was the most exciting game. I, I am biased, but the exciting game of the round. Um, eight goals and uh, give a great effort and a great display for themselves. As they push the first division side to the limit. Besad uh, advance. Pridz won. to nil in a battle of Liga 3 sides. Vila nil. Mafra won. This is a battle of two teams from the Liga 2. From League 2. Moreirense 3. Vitoria Guimarães 2. And Pepa is on a string of bad results here. For Vitoria Guimarães as they lose this Minu derby. There are more minu derbies in Portuguese football than in <laughs> any other right now, uh, especially in the top levels of the uh, in the national levels of the game. Uh, Moreirense team led by Canadian the uh, by Canadian Stephen Vitoria advance in the cup, and then Monday the round closes with Tondela three one winners at home over Leixões. All right, um, we'll we'll get to the the draw for round five, which is the round, I believe, of 16. Yeah, the round of 16 uh, in just a minute. But it is Benfica playing at home here to Passus de Ferreira. Let's take a look here then at the lineups for this one. And I have that now. And we'll start with the lineups for pasus de Ferreira. Noticeable by his al uh noticeable by his absence, especially to all my homies up there in Canada. Canadian listeners will notice that Stefan Ostaku, not in the lineup in this one for uh Pasus. He arrived late obviously. He had to travel all the way from Edmonton to Lisbon. So um he was kept out of this one. Uh, I think Fikish should be happy with that. Um he's a very, very good very good number six and um the way the game went and the way it was it was starting and the way that it looked for a little while, it is a good thing that uh, he wasn't there, I think, or it might have been even harder for Benfica to break the deadlock. The 4-1 uh, scoreline is a little bit misleading in this one. But anyway, Passage's, uh lineup, 4-1-4-1 4-1 is their formation for their manager, George Simon. Igor Vekic is the goalkeeper. Fernando Fonseca, uh, Flavio Ramos, Maracaj, and Antunj, the four across the back, of course, Antunz, former Portugal international, former uh, Sevilla, former, uh, you have lost track of all the teams, the former Roma player, he's played for a number of other teams, so those are some of the notable ones. Um, in the hole in the number six, it's usually occupied by Stefano Shtaciu, is Rui Pirsch. Uh four attacking mids in front of him, Juan Delgado down the right, Luis Carlos, the captain, in the center of midfield, along with Benfica Loni, Nuno Santos. Lucas Silva plays down the left, and João Pedro is the striker. Now, for Benfica, they go with a completely rotated squad, um, and I think that's a, that's fine. I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, I am in the minority in that I like that these cup fixtures fall on the back end of the international dates because it puts less pressure on you know, you're less likely to be missing players for a key league match. Uh, notable, of course, is Nicolás Otamendi. Not in the lineup. He had just played for Argentina 48 hours before kickoff. But for Benfica, the goalkeeper is Elton late who gets a, an opportunity to play here. Three-man center back pairing. Uh, Morato on the left. Jan in central. And Andre Almeida as the right center back. Um, maybe a preview and a, a trial, if you will, for what J.J. went with at the Camp nou just a few days later. Uh, the wing backs Grimaldo on the left and Radonich on the right. And I actually really like this Nemanja Radonich guy. Um, I like the way he plays that position. I think he is our best option there when healthy. But, of course, he would leave this match injured and um, not what we want, obviously. The double pivot in midfield for this one was Vigel and Jetson. Important for Jetson to get some touches. And uh Sofa score here giving him a decent rating. They rated him at a seven point three. Uh and they're playing behind the attacking three of Rafa Darwin and Everton. Everton again with the goal in this one. He would uh he would um continue to improve. And largely probably the reason JJ opted with him instead of Darwin for the Barcelona matches. Darwin had an off night here against against Pasus. So um again I'm going to do this quickly cuz we've been going for a while we're well over an hour now um Benfica fall behind on a goal to Nuno Santos not the one at Sporting obviously the one that we loaned to this de Ferreira side and uh, his goal came in the came in the 52nd minute off a nice play he was he was uh Benfica was controlling the match though I don't want I don't want people to think that that Benfica, they struggled to score. They were very inefficient in this match up until the final 20 minutes. I disagree with Pasuja's manager, George Simon, who said for 70 minutes, uh, Passage were the better team. Passage were leading for 70 minutes for certain. But I really believe, at least from what I saw, you know, Benfica were right there. Benfica created a lot of chances. Benfica squandered plenty of chances. I actually thought they were playing better than they had been playing um Recently remember we're coming off a run of tough performances I had said the last episode inconsistent performances is what I named the episode you know inconsistent results inconsistent performances um so I thought there was a lot of positives in this match even though we were really poor in front of goal for much of it uh, we got a substitution, like I said in the 51st Lazaro came on for an injured Redondich. in the 60th, Pizzi came on for Andre Almeida going to a 442. The fans of the 442 rejoice because we turn around and win the game, but that that changes out of necessity. We can't worry about surrendering goals and passers have little interest in attacking us when we're losing. It makes a lot more sense to to go to a 442 at that time also the players we had available we someone had to be sacrificed and it was going to be one of the center backs in that situation because of who we had available so um I get it and it was a good it was the right time to go to a 442 doesn't mean I want to start any matches with the 442 again I will I will probably die on this hill but go back and watch the first half of the tonella match you can find it on YouTube or you can find the goal. That four four two is nothing but gates everywhere for the opposition to play through, um, and that's why we don't do it too often. Here, I thought it was it was the right it was the right decision, um, given that we were losing and we needed to find an equalizer, and we also did not want to go to extra time on the you know on the eve of going to Barcelona. Remember, a lot of things started in the previous round when we went to extra time. Um, we went to extra time in the cup match and then had to go play Bayern Munich with 30 extra minutes in our legs and we picked up a few extra injuries and it was not a good thing. Okay, so on comes Peasy. On comes Adele opt for Jetson and I already criticized him in the previous segment, but before any of that happened, he had himself a good game here. Adele used in a role that I have said could be useful for him. Not in the Champions League, but in, in domestic matches, certainly. He can come on with 30 minutes to play and give you 30 good minutes. He cannot give you 90 minutes. He should never start as a result. But here he comes on, and he, he, he does well. And, and actually, you know, we get a few more subs before we get to it. Gonzalo Ramoš comes on for Weigl, and Seferovic comes on for new, for Darwin. Seferovic, after I think close to a three-month absence... Uh, he hadn't played since August at this point. Uh, finally gets on the pitch. And in the 78th, Port, uh, Befica get a free kick here on the right side, in the right center channel, edge of the box, a little maybe 22 or so meters from goal. And it is Ale Grimaldo who steps up with his left foot, crushes it over the wall, and buries it in the top corner. Nothing the goalkeeper can do about it. The stadium erupts. Befica, back in it, it's 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 level. And it's a big, again, the word they love to use on Portuguese TV, a leave you, a great relief. as the fear of an upset. Kind of dies down a little bit. And, uh, you know, Passouche had, had kind of not planned on attacking anymore in this one. And, and they had just seen a yellow card for time-wasting. They were already trying to get to... The end of the match. Two minutes later, Adel Teropt. Yes, Adel Teropt with an assist. I almost fainted. No, I was happy. Um, good ball from Adel Teropt. One of the things he can do. And he puts it right onto Seferovic's head, who whose header beats the goalkeeper to the far post. And in three minutes, Benfica turn a 1-0 uh, deficit into a 2-0 lead, and... You could sense now that we were going to be safe. We were going to go through. You could sense that Benfica um, felt comfortable with the lead here. um Pastor Ferreira starts to scramble a little bit. They make two substitutions right after the goal. In comes Elder Ferreira for, uh, for Juan Delgado. In comes Denilson for Nuno Santos. And in the 87th minute, it's another one. It's on the counter, and it's Rafa. Uh, who scores a nice goal on an assist from Everton Cebolinha. Same Everton who will close it out in the 90th plus three. He'll get an assist from Seferovic. Everton makes it four to one and continues his good run of form. Benfica win four one in advance to the round of sixteen in the taça de Portugal. And everything indicated like we were taking a ton of momentum into Barcelona, and I said, "Hey, even maybe Seferovic will win the will will net the winner at uh, Barcelona." And um, I think JJ was thinking that too. He brought him on. He did everything. He put him in position. He got himself there as well. But obviously, in Barcelona, he was not able to find the back of the net. So if you go win there; they advance. Here are the pairings for the round of 16, tentatively scheduled for Wednesday, December 22nd. Casapia hosts Sporting in a Lisbon derby from you know a hundred years ago. This was a big Lisbon derby in the early days of of you know Portuguese football. Casapia were one of the founders of the league. Family co host Portimonis. Football Club do Porto, host Benfica. That's right. We come out of the hat and we draw our biggest rival. And I'm okay with it. I'm not upset. Some people are upset about it. You know what? I was I was not liking the way the past several years. There were no matchups in any of the early rounds between the big teams. I was starting to think many people were pointing to the fact that it seems like it's being fixed for the Big Four to get to the last four every every year. And um, I like I liked the idea of playing them. Unfortunately, it's three days before we visit them for the league. I wish it was in the reverse order. I wish it was three days after we visit them for the league. But on the positive side, it's almost like we get a trial run to go at Porto and try to see uh, where we can find some weaknesses in their game. I I think we match up with them all right. I think our staff knows what to do, knows where we need to be strong, where we need to stop them. The only thing I'm uh, I'm a little nervous about is you know there's only like a four day, um, well it wouldn't be a four day. Let me see. We there's actually more. I. It's not a four-day because Christmas falls in between the two matches, so it's actually going to be a little bit more time in between them. So, yeah, so there's a week in between the two matches with with Porto, and once again we have another Clasico against Porto on a Wednesday. So we do not see any Clasicos on weekends. We got our home match against Spartan this week on a Friday, and when we go to the ground for the for the It'll be on a Wednesday night, and when we go to the Dragon for the Liga, it will be on a Wednesday night. But that is the draw that we got elsewhere. Lesa host Pridj, Mafra host Morirens, Hiwav host Bisad, Tondela host ishtriel and yet another Minu Derby when Vizela host sporting braga right now scheduled for wednesday december 22nd and that my friends is going to do it for episode 131 mr benfica thank you for bearing with me here again i apologize as always with the irregular schedule my work schedule now is absolutely insane my goal is to get an episode out once a week um i say that here at 9 53 p.m Here, my local time here on the East Coast of the United States. I need to be at work in a little over an hour at midnight. Um, And uh, it's just a reality that in the Christmas season, I work close to 100 hours a week. Uh, But I will see what I can do and try to get to you again uh, next weekend with more content. And I'm going to try to squeeze out some time again to get a women's team update before they return to play next week. We'll have to wait and see. Um, But that is my, my big goal now. ...that this episode has been recorded. So again, thank you for your patience. Thank you for listening. Um, it's always a pleasure to turn on this microphone... ...and talk Benfica, ...even when it's not the best of things to talk about. And this was surely one of the more unusual weeks... <laughs> ...that the club has ever had. But uh, listen, we're one point out of first place in the league. We're two points out of making the last 16 in the Champions League. And we have the opportunity... In the next round of the cup. To not just advance. But to take out one of the favorites. So we'll see what happens. Okay. Uh, Benfica next 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 in action of course. Again Friday. December the 3rd. Versus a Sporting Club Portugal. If I can get on Friday night after the match. I will do that. If not it will be sometime Saturday afternoon probably. Uh, but I will definitely be recapping that one for you. But until then. Enjoy uh, the rest of your week. Have a great week. Um also want to wish a happy Thanksgiving to everybody listening in the United States of America. We just celebrated Thanksgiving this past Thursday. Those of you that follow me on Twitter saw my tweet where I said I'm thankful for Nicolas Altamendi. That remains uh that is still true. But uh, again, happy Thanksgiving to the US uh listeners and um we're we're on, we're on the way. We're going that closes the month of November for Benfica. Now, all we got is the the month of December to close out 2021. Can you believe it we're already here at the end. This is going to be a major major month for Benfica. Two matches with Porto, a match with Sporting. This match, this match, this mar- this month, excuse me, could really dictate where the season goes from here. We said that a year ago it didn't go well um because of a Outbreak of COVID, <laughs> I believe it was in December of last year. It might have even been in January, but uh, this year, you know, we can really, really get the train going in the right direction, get it on the right track, and see Benfica start to take a, the lead here. Tough matches, of course, two trips to the to the goal. but I think this team is ready, and I think this team is confident. They should be confident. Um. They should, they, they should play these matches with no fear. And hopefully, you know, it's going to be a real fast month being a holiday and everything. But uh, hopefully at this time next month, we'll be talking about a red hot Benfica. But until then, all right, this is episode 131. Like I said, the Mr. Mike Agustinio signing off. Don't forget, to follow on Twitter at Benfica Mister On Instagram at Mr. Benfica. And I'll see you next week. Carrega Benfica, Forza Benfica. We are Benfica. Tamu 38. All the hashtags, <laughs> I just read them all off. All right, I'll see you next week. Have a good week, everybody.